Welcome to Charity Chats. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak with Laura Crowdace about being a fundraising enthusiast. Our enthusiasm takes us to talking a little bit about CRMs, corporate partnerships and mentoring too, among other things. The genesis of this episode was born out of a conversation about CRMs, but in speaking with Laura, there were so many interesting interconnected points that our enthusiasm took us for an exciting run around, and we invite you to join us for that run around this episode. One overriding topic in this episode, as I've already said, is enthusiasm, where we get it from, how we maintain it, and what it can mean to the formation of good ideas a willingness to try and fail and try again, and how we can share this with other fundraising and charity colleagues for the betterment of the causes we support. I realise this may all sound a little bit intriguing, so without further ado, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce my conversation with Laura Crowdace, the fundraising enthusiast. I'm delighted to be joined by Laura Crowdace, Technology Impact Evangelist at Sirico and Fundraising Enthusiast. Hello, Laura. Welcome to Charity Chat. Hi, Sam. Thanks so much for having me. It's so nice to be here. I introduced you as a fundraising enthusiast because just by talking to you myself a couple of times, I've picked that up, but I'm not the only one. Maybe we can start by you summarising a little bit about who you are, your career to date and who you are today. Yeah, sure. So yes, the nickname Fundraise Enthusiast was given to me affectionately, which I'm sure we'll come on to at some point. But my career has spanned working with nonprofits and B Corps and organizations with purpose since day one, really, because like many, I left school and didn't really know what I wanted to do. But what I did know was that I wanted to make an impact with the people that had inspired me and so I started my fundraising journey at Birmingham Children's Hospital. I have four children and my eldest is nearly 15 and when he was born he was really poorly. Um, My eldest son has a muscle condition and um, essentially he nearly died and it was my way of saying thank you to Birmingham Children's Hospital by becoming a fundraiser and At that time, I was working in marketing. I was also a makeup artist. And I decided that I was going to rope in everyone and anyone that could help me raise money. And I started making connections with various people and ended up going on with my friends to raise £100,000. And I didn't know at the time that you could get paid to be a fundraiser. (laughs) Um, And it was a couple of people at Birmingham Children's Hospital said, you'd be really good at doing this for a living. And so that's really how my career in the nonprofit sector really began. And and now I'm uh, a technology, well, the technology impact evangelist for Surico, who are a Salesforce partner specializing in working with nonprofits and Um, businesses with purpose to transform the impacts that they can create through having the right technology. And and Salesforce, as in the CRM, the the database company, is that right? That's correct, yeah. So Salesforce have uh, their, I guess most people think of them as being a CRM company, but they have so many different clouds that do so many different things. You know, you've got um, Marketing Cloud and 
products that specialize in you know creating amazing donor journeys and then obviously the nonprofit cloud um that you know so many people use to to drive their organizations forward and i mean technology impacts we talked a lot on this show about digital and charities going digital is that is that the kind of space you're you're working in at the moment yeah so it's really interesting when Serco approached me to become their technology impact evangelist I wasn't really sure what that meant and so some people have said that's the coolest job title I've ever heard and others have said that's ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) that's what you know you get um really varied opinions on things like that And so my job is to work with Sirico. We're aligned to four of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, um, which is really the reason that I took the job, because I thought it was so inspiring and so cool to be able to create daily changes within the work that we're doing to make you know, real impact on climate action, equality for women and girls, education and responsible consumption and production. And My job is to work with the team to work out how we can make more of an impact through the work that we do with our clients. So, for example, if we're working with a nonprofit and in fact, I've got a really good story, which is I was talking to one of our clients on Friday about the project that we've just finished with them, which was implementing a CRM. They'd never had a CRM before. They were an organization with 25 people helping deaf children and I was talking to them, to their um, head of technology and IT services. And, you know, you kind of, before a call, you'd wonder what it's going to be like. And I said to him, you know, so Gary, what's the most exciting and inspirational thing that working, you know, on this project has been? And he said to me, so before we had the CRM, people would call up and tell us that they were having a really stressful time, their child on average had just been diagnosed with losing their hearing or they were born deaf Mm. and they didn't have the right um, support in you know their town they might live in a really really uh, rural part of the country or they might be in a city where it's very difficult to get the services that you need and he said before we had the CRM um, you know things were written down on post-it notes and things were emailed to clinicians and a lot of the time the ball was dropped in communication you know the message was lost and parents and families and caregivers would call back up and say I haven't had a call back I'm desperate to get some help Mm. and it wasn't that they didn't want to provide the help it was just things were being lost in translation so he said to me the most exciting thing for them was that they knew that having all of their information in one centralized place would mean that they could help 100% of their families and actually create a ripple effect of being able to help more people because they are automating a lot of stuff and their clinicians and teams in-house and their fundraisers, which the fundraising aspect was really fascinating, is all going to be housed in one place. So he said it was like downloading everyone's brains into one place which i thought was a really interesting way to look which at is it. what you want isn't it from a from a crm really it's that kind of central repository for for uh, the intelligence of the organization i suppose and the knowledge of the organization mm. what, what, yeah. were they, what were they doing before that then were they using a combination of spreadsheets and you know things like that yeah it's typical um 
that organizations will come to us and say they'd really like a new technology solution and when we talk to them about what they're currently using or our amazing uh, team talk to them they're using a mixture of things and in the global pandemic you know we've just been through a year of working remotely which for me wasn't a challenge because I'd worked remotely for eight years Um, a couple of organizations told me they were doing everything through whatsapp through Slack, through some of them were doing Facebook workplace messenger. Some of them were just phoning each other all the time because they were used to being able to shout across the office to find out, you know, what a colleague needed or um, the information that they had was in the person's head. So, and, and spreadsheets, you know, we all love a spreadsheet, but things get lost in Excel and um, they're time consuming. The benefit of the CRM is, of course, it's the it's the detail, isn't it, of the data? You can put in lots of different types of data and easily organise it, and then it's it's fairly um, easy for other people to then make sense of and and share. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think you know transparency is a topic that you know we talk about, but with funders, for example, um, one of the organisations that I recently chatted to about how having Salesforce had transformed their organisation, they said that when they get invited to apply for a grant for a specific area, so for example, let's just say, you know, a really rural part of the country, or even a really densely populated area, not being able to pull data at your fingertips of how many people in that area you help is really time consuming or sometimes it's not accurate so when you're able to have all of the things in one place it actually powers your fundraising in a completely different level but then from a reporting standpoint which is where it gets really interesting is if you can then give the funder access to the crm so they can themselves go in and look at how many people you're helping in a specific area then it becomes really interesting because they can see it for themselves and I suppose you can do that in certain ways. So it filters it. So it doesn't give the funder, there's all those data protection rules, of course, around data, isn't there? But uh, you can give them these kind of snapshots and, and reports and exciting graphs and charts and things like that to help you with your, your message. Yeah, absolutely. I think, the, I think when technology is used smartly, it's used smartly in a customized and bespoke way, um, which is really simple and easy to set up. But mm. yeah, funders really appreciate that. Friend of the show, Ken Burnett, called you the fundraising enthusiast when you worked together a few years ago. You have a huge amount of experience, Laura, of organising successful events, as you mentioned, uh, working with many of the top brass of the sector and find time to mentor as well. Dozens of fundraisers each year. To what extent is the secret to your success in doing all of this your enthusiasm? That's such a beautiful question. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, when Ken nicknamed me that, I'll never forget it. We were sat in Costa Coffee um, in London in one of the kind of random catch-ups we'd have with each other. And I think my enthusiasm really comes from being involved with so many different organisations and people that are doing so much amazing you know fundraising and things that inspire me and I mean I'm a big believer in one person can change the world and 
one of the things that keeps me going and keeps me inspired and really enthusiastic is, you know, I really like to think of um, myself, you know, even though I'm working from home all day long as having like a team of people around me that I lean on for advice or I just ask questions constantly. And I think that naturally I'm quite a curious person that just constantly wants to know what's going on and how things happen behind the scenes Um, and also mentoring you know you mentioned that I mentor people and I just counted the hours on Friday last week um, because I had a Facebook memory flash up which um, was me going out to everybody in different Facebook groups asking if anyone needed mentoring during COVID and in the last year I mentored over 80 fundraisers from 74 different nonprofits, which equated to 512 hours of mentoring and for me (laughs) I believe that everyone you meet is a teacher and I think that you know mentoring is a real gift and I would definitely encourage anyone that's thinking about it to mentor because you learn so much about you know the things that concern fundraisers and leaders I've mentored CEOs and junior fundraisers and everything in between and you learn so much about how to be a great leader yourself and how some of the small tweaks that you can make actually have a huge impact to the culture of organizations. So I think that my advice to people that are looking to be, you know, future or current fundraising enthusiasts is to just stay curious and, and talk to as many different people as you can. really a kind of a, a very useful learning for everybody isn't it I think I, I feel uh, there's a similarity with with what you're talking about and actually the very genesis of the podcast because of course we set this up and um, there's a group of us now who set up the podcast the charity chat podcast some years ago and and I get so much from being involved in this I feel I get more from being involved in it than than I give in many ways in terms of time you mentioned that 500 plus hours is that, do you see that as a kind of, you're mentoring, you're obviously helping people, you're asking people the, the kind of questions that help to bring out kind of new ideas to them and, and give them advice. But are you, is that a kind of a two-way learning experience, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, during COVID, I learned so much about what was stressing people out and the, the challenges that they faced. And it really enabled me to become a better leader within my organization and also to help the clients that we serve you know how can we provide solutions to them that they might not have even thought of so I mean I've mentored people over lunch breaks and after work and sometimes on weekends when we were in lockdown the first two lockdowns I was doing it most weekends and for me it was about giving something back because I've been so fortunate in my life that you know I left school I didn't go to uni because I had my son when I was 19. Well, I was just, I just turned 20 actually. And I gave up my uni place to have my son and look after him. And with that kind of um, start to, you know, life after being in college and um, I took a year out also to work, I decided that anyone that helped me, I was going to pay it back, you know, two or three times and so people like Ken Burnett, Rob Woods, Ben Swartz, gosh the li- list is endless you know there's so many people um Eileen Reed, 
some of the team at Open Fundraising, you know, the team at Sophie and having, you know, opportunities to go and work at places like Resource Alliance, which was just the most incredible experience to be able to work all over the world and, and do huge events, bringing people together. I count myself as so unbelievably fortunate that if there's anything that I can do to help pave the way for people that are willing to go the extra mile to you know learn and develop themselves then that's something that I really want to be a part of and I think that you know one of the things that the sector really struggles with is finding the budgets to train and develop its staff you know you only have to look at the for-profit sector and how much they invest in people and Mm. how much training they have and you know it's like night and day you know now working for a tech company I'm so privileged to have some of the best training in the world and and have so much access to so much resource that if there's a way that I can give back then that's something that I want to do. Fundraising has been a struggle for many charities throughout the pandemic. I think that's fair to say. Uh, Even the most resilient fundraisers are facing challenges they've never faced before. Are you seeing fundraisers bucking the trend? And is there anything that we can learn from them? I feel that this year has really turned so many things on their heads. And people have had to get really creative about the way that they fundraise because they've not been able to do events. And, you know, some major donors have pulled back their resources. Um, I feel that a lot of the time, the things that I'm seeing that are booking trends, so to speak, and um, are creating the biggest impacts, there's some been a there's been amazing corporate partnerships happen this year and I've seen some incredible corporate partnerships with really tiny organizations so I saw a really incredible corporate partnership um, with the B Corp Brewdog who make you know incredible beers (laughs) yeah yeah um they've done some good stuff recently haven't they Brewdog I've seen a bit about them with uh I think they were doing something for the NHS. I think they were packaging. They did. Yeah, yeah. they were packaging water so that water. they could, right. yeah. um, in cans, in like beer cans, so that it was um, clean and safe and mm. it didn't need to kind of have any specialist treatment before it could be taken into a, a centre where they were vaccinating people or on COVID wards. Yeah. But yeah, they, they did so many different corporate partnerships in that year of lockdown. And it was the smaller organizations that they partnered with. And I feel that, you know, some of the smaller organizations that might be listening, they have so many incredible stories to tell and such a niche audience of supporters that really care about the same causes as a lot of B Corps, for example. And if anyone's listening that doesn't know what a B Corp is, I would definitely recommend checking them out because B Corps sit in the middle of businesses on one side and nonprofits on the other, they're businesses with social aims and a social purpose. Um, I've been involved with B Corps since they came to the UK, so a long, long time. But essentially, I feel that a lot of nonprofits are booking trends through telling stories differently and enabling people to believe in what they're doing. We only have to look at Captain Tom to look at the way that he crowd fundraised the millions of pounds. And that was just through being really vulnerable and saying, I stand up for some, I'm standing up for something I believe in and sharing the story 
and you know that touching the hearts of millions of people and if we're able to do that in a really beautiful way I feel that my biggest frustration and I, you know I did an Iwi Tot talk if you put my name into YouTube you'll find it um was on Humans of New York and the way that nonprofits can tell stories better. Mm. And all of the people that I mentor, one of the things that I cha- you know, challenge them and task them to do is to go away and talk to people that they've helped so that they themselves can have at least, you know, three or four stories that they can say, I was, re- you know, somebody, for example, that works at a hospice. Mm. I was recently talking to, you know, Sarah who, Um, recently lost her father and she told me that the support of the hospice enabled her to do x y and z I feel that if we're able to tell stories better through social media and engage the public then crowd fundraising and inspiring brands is something that is just gonna enable people to think about the way that they um, support charities but also a really beautiful example of rethinking the way that fundraisers use technology is so I mentor an amazing um, woman also called Laura and she works for a really small nonprofit down in Newquay one of my favorite places on earth and she came to me in lockdown the first couple of weeks and said that they were you know thinking about how they were going to fundraise because so much had changed and a lot of their staff had been furloughed. And I came up with this crazy idea that they were going to launch a TV show called The Daily Hug. Their nonprofit is called um, The Hug Foundation. And they were going to launch this um, TV show on Facebook where they showed the public what they were doing with the animals that are part of this nonprofit. So the nonprofit um helps people with PTSD and um other other uh, mental health issues mm-hmm. um by going in and grooming the horses and being around animals and I said you know there's so many millions of people stuck in their houses without access access to green space and gardens why don't you launch a tv show at 10 and 2 every day nice. where people tune into Facebook live and you know I, I guess we could do another episode on this, but you know, the, <laughs> yeah, impacts, yeah. the impacts that it had enabled them to grow their audience, to fundraise oh. and some other really magical things happened off the back of that, which I'm sure at some point I'll tell you about. Laura, how has the pandemic impacted on you? You talked about you've worked from home for the last eight years anyway, so the working from home bit may not have been a change, but obviously the pandemic's affected everybody in different ways. How have you evolved your way of working? What have you learned about yourself from the pandemic? Wow. um, (laughs) What I wish I could go back and tell myself a year ago at the beginning of the pandemic when we all thought it was only going to be three weeks long. Um, so yeah I love working from home I think that working from home for me is something that you know enables me to be really productive and really strategic in the way that I spend my time but the thing that I have missed most and the thing that I find most stressful was not being able to visit nonprofits and see the work firsthand mm. um, because I'd spent the best part of 
almost 10 years doing that and doing that not just in the UK but being fortunate enough to do that around the world the thing that I find most stressful was probably at the time being in one room of my house most of the day even though I've worked from home for eight years I would go down to London at least two days a week I would visit Salesforce Tower and have meetings or go mentor people in person so for me not having that human contact was really difficult but I guess the way that I combated that was actually I decided to mentor more people so that every lunchtime I knew I was going to have you know meet somebody different and being quite a I don't know if I'd class myself as an extrovert I don't know well, I guess, how do, where do you get your energy from? That's that's the definition, isn't it? I mean, I'm, oh. I definitely, I get energised. I'm an extrovert. I get energised from spending time talking and being with other people. But then my wife is more of an introvert. I don't think she'll mind me saying that. So she's kind of knackered by the end of the day of dealing with people. So the last <laughs> thing she wants to do is talk to me. So um, that sounds familiar. That's that's my definition of it anyway. I don't know how scientific that is. I think that's that's in that's kind of the gist of it. That's interesting because I would say that I'm like you and my partner, Matthew, who is the most incredible person to talk to, probably feels the same. He's on the phone all day to to clients too, in a completely different industry to me. But yeah, I feel like I get my energy through helping others and seeing people Mm. succeed is what I get, you know, the most energy from, because if it's a client that launches a product uh, or a project even, and they are able to t- turn around to me and say, we've we've had this technology in place for three months and now we're helping 30% more people. You know, we're helping all of the people that come to us. That for me is something that gives me so much energy and satisfaction, but also the people that I mentor when they come back to me and you know, a week later they say, I did it, I combated my fear of public speaking or um, I had that difficult conversation with my manager or you know, I stood up in front of the team and delivered the strategy that we discussed. That's where I really get my energy from. But, and for me, it's also about spending time with my team because at Surico, we have the most amazing culture. It's a really fast paced environment, but everyone there is driven to create impacts around sustainability. And, you know, when you're able to work with people that have that growth mindset, it, completely changes the way that you view work for me I can't wait to get to work in the morning because I know that there's going to be a bunch of people that I'm fortunate enough to work with that are so determined and passionate about going the extra mile for our clients and changing the world that's so rare you know Mm. it's and it's and it's so contagious and I suppose people listening to this I mean we know a lot of our listeners now are are working for charities in a lot of cases i suppose by the, the given the percentage of, of small charities i think it's about 80 percent raise less than hundred thousand pounds 90 percent raise less than five hundred thousand pounds so the majority of people working in the sector seems to be for these smaller charities i guess the the i i work for a charity and i know that in my day-to-day my best days are when i'm reminded of the impact that we're trying to make but then, of course, there are those days where, you know, you're working on spreadsheets. You could be working in any industry, couldn't you? You're not always uh, mindful, I suppose, of, of the impact that you're you're trying to make, you know, in a smaller mm. or larger way. And I guess is that is that kind of where kind of where you're coming from with 
what you, you were talking about your current culture at your your current job at Syrico is that the same kind of idea that you're constantly mindful of making the impact showing the impact and, and then that kind of drives you yeah definitely I think because it's interesting because some of our team are focused on the technical aspect they're working with nonprofits and and having conversations with them about how to accelerate impacts and and um, growth through technology but sometimes I have to kind of reframe things and show them what the lasting impacts are going to be and I go and tell them stories all the time and and I think that you know a lot of the time when you're like you say working on spreadsheets and we all have days where you know or CRMs well yeah you know (laughs) any any like desk work that isn't so sexy you know um we all have those days and don't get me wrong I don't jump out of bed every single day and you know feel like the sun is shining but I think that you know one of the things that we can do to stay connected to the causes that we work for is to remind ourselves and to have conversations with people that deliver the services if we work for a homelessness charity you know reach out to one of the case managers and say hey I want to hear how your day's going you know can we put in 15 minutes every week just so you can tell me the best part of your week um or you know having I used to um, when I led a team at PDSA um, which is a really large animal charity I used to tell the team to write down one of the favorite one of their favorite things that they'd seen in the animal hospitals that we'd go visit so like once a month we'd go to one of the animal hospitals and I'd get them to write it on a post-it note and stick it on the monitor and so it was a constant reminder that you know if they're a cat lover a dog lover you know whatever it might be that there are people right there and then in that moment in those animal hospitals that um have a poorly pet and you know just because you're, you're not there in person it doesn't mean that it's not happening so mm. just keep keep reminding yourself and keep connecting and keep having conversations <laughs> What are your hopes for how the sector will survive and thrive in the future? Um, I think there's a few kind of angles to this, um, the way that I've been thinking about it. I had a really interesting conversation with um, Amy Hutchinson from Open the other day, Open Fundraising. And we were talking about um, how B Corps and businesses with purpose are, you know, kind of in some ways overtaking the nonprofit space and the way that they speak and the kinds of language that they use about their impact. So, I mean, BrewDog, for example, is a carbon negative company. They're not even car- carbon neutral. They, wow. they offset more of their carbon footprint because of their initiatives than they, mm. you know, create. It's, it's quite incredible. And they planted, I think it's, something I don't know like 10 million trees or something crazy but yeah I know um (laughs) my hope for the sector is that they start telling their stories better and inspiring Mm. people in different ways I want the sector to become a more sustainable sector in various ways and when I use the word sustainability I'm talking about you know being financially sustainable but also the way that the sector 
thinks about their daily actions because I always think of the London Marathon so at the London Marathon you've got it could be I'm going to try really hard now not to use non-profits names so it doesn't look like I'm picking on anyone but you could have for example a cancer charity that's got you know loads of balloons and single-use plastic items that they're giving out to people and then next to them you could have an environmental charity that Mm. are trying to promote you know, people being sustainable. For me, circular economy is something that really intrigued me when I first saw it years ago when I was working in Bangkok. Because how can the daily actions of all of us be positive ones so that other people in other organizations are actually benefiting from our actions? And for me, sustainability is at the forefront of that because if we're all more mindful as a charity sector or a nonprofit sector, then that's going to have benefits to our, you know, sisters and brothers or cousins, however you want to frame it in other nonprofits. So that's one thing that I really want the sector to do. I'd love it if all, you know, nonprofits by, I don't know, 2030 subscribed to being on green energy and mm. green tech, because For example, every undeleted email that sits in our inbox with an attachment equates to 50 grams of CO2 just from storing it on a server every year. That's that's Um, really interesting. I've never thought of that. That's a great point. Yeah. I'm guilty of that. I've got so, (laughs) I am a hoarder of emails. I mean, they're nicely filed away in different files, but blimey, you made me think there, Lou. I'm going to go back and going to delete a load of stuff. There's a great book that I would totally recommend for anyone interested in sustainability called How Bad Are Bananas? And it talks about, um, it's like almost like a recipe book and every page is a breakdown of how much um, carbon footprint from a bowl of porridge through to a tank of petrol, what what the carbon footprint is of that. And Mm -hmm. it was when I started at Syracuse and was rethinking the way that as a company, we measure our footprint and what we can do to change things Mm. that I found this book and yeah it's definitely worth a read but I think the other thing that I would love to see the sector do more of and my hope for the sector so that they can thrive is to really invest so you know we talk about budgets and we talk about cost and we talk about overhead And I get all of that. You know, I've been ahead of fundraising and I've sat in those meetings with the finance and audit committees. I get it. I really do. But if we're not going to invest in whether it's technology to invest in tech that's going to enable us to save thousands of hours by automation or in our people. So our people have more knowledge, tools and resources at their fingertips so that they can do more. I feel that it's our responsibility to help the sector thrive. Laura Crowdace, thank you for contributing to Charity Chats. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Big thank you there to Laura Crowdace for sharing her knowledge, expertise and enthusiasm with us. The notion of enthusiasm is something that we may all take for granted. For me, the drive to learn, to change and to create or grow is the vehicle for enthusiasm. And these are all the hallmarks of our sector. A sense of getting up in the morning to do a day's work that will contribute some small droplet to the sea change that we seek to create in order to deliver a fairer 
and better world for all. It may sound cheesy or perhaps delusional, but enthusiasm is a seed which needs hope to grow. We talked about being mindful of the impact of our work to help drive our energy levels and focus to do more and do better for those our charity is there to support, as well as those around us. One idea was having one or two stories about your work that inspire you to hold on to these like an energy drink sitting in your drawer for those times where you need to be reminded about why you're working late again or to perk you up when you're in a slump. One other thought, Laura spoke about her passion for mentoring and being taught by those she speaks to. This is a similar notion for the team here at Charity Chats. One thing that seems to be shared by those working, supporting and contributing to this podcast is a desire to question and learn and understand. Very few of those we speak to do not themselves question. They grow from the questions they ask and the solutions they then create to drive their causes. Curiosity seems to be a common trait, along with the enthusiasm that drives that curiosity among so many of our contributors. The desire to learn, to share, to find those who inspire us to grow bigger and do more. And in the current context in which we all find ourselves, this driving force is needed more than ever. We speak to those at the top, the middle and the lower rungs of organisations because we believe that everyone has something to contribute to our shared knowledge. And perhaps the key to our own individual challenges, those of our organisation and the problems in our own lives, maybe the answer lies in the words of a colleague in the sector who we may never even have met. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear from you either way. If you did enjoy the podcast, please do give us a good rating on your preferred podcast app. It would help us to get out to more people and we'd really appreciate it. Also, just to say that uh, Laura did say that if anyone would like to get in touch with her, please do so through LinkedIn or through the Syrico website if you have any questions. Alternatively, you can get in touch with us and we can pass them on or try and answer them ourselves and go to our website charitychat.org.uk to contact us. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, our platinum sponsor, Charity People, for enabling us to continue to share insights, expertise and best practice across our sector. Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Axmit for our beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter. Just look out for Charity Chat Podcast. And also Forrester Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it from me. Thanks again for listening. Keep on doing what you can. Cheerio. Bye-bye.